Revelation chapter 17, we've come through the first six verses where it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and he talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now imagine, I taught this on Mother's Day the first time through the Bible, because I was really naive, and I was 32 or 33, and... With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. <clears throat> and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And we come to verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? So, as, as we come here, these three words, by the way, in chapter, in verse 6, I wondered, then it could say with great wonderment, it's the same word, and then the angel said, why are you wondering? Or it could be, I marveled with great marvel, and the angel said, why do you marvel? Um, I was astonished with great astonishment, and the angel said, why are you astonished? That's the idea here. Uh, John is is awed. He, he's you know, you think of all of the things he's seen in the book of Revelation so far. They're incredible. This is the place he said, he stops and says, I, I was overwhelmed. I was awed. You know, and and I think it's because as he looks at this, here's this apostate church, this great whore, this last great religious system. And she's drunk with the blood of the saints and of the martyrs of Jesus, this system. Um, certainly it seems after Ezekiel 38 and 39 when Russia, Iran, um, Turkey, North Africa attack Israel, which is this Thursday, uh, you know, it could be any time, they attack Israel and and all the Russian forces, 5-6 uh, and 5-6 of radical Islam, destroyed supernaturally on the mountains of Israel, then certainly somebody can come out of Europe or somewhere and say, you know, come up with this seven-year peace treaty. It seems like these ten nations come together, ten regions, whatever they are, and say, this is madness. This can't happen anymore. There, there, there has to be peace in this world. We have, to have, we have to be on the same page before we completely annihilate ourselves. We have to have one religious system. We can't fight over Judaism and Islam and Christianity and Buddhism and Hinduism. And so, so they come up with this great one world religious system 
Everybody's willing to listen to these ten regions, and one voice seems to rise and come up with a treaty for the nation of Israel to cooperate with and sign that gives them a, a right to a part of the Temple Mount, the Muslims a right to the part of the Temple Mount, and so on. <clears throat> and the whole world wonders after, you know, they're, they're amazed this is going on. Everybody's willing to give up their rights for life. And it seems this great harlot religious system then rides into power with this beast and his kingdom. Um, the religious system acknowledges the beast because that's to her benefit. And the beast acknowledges the religious system because she's endorsing him. Then as we look at this three and a half years into that treaty with Israel, there's a desolation of abomination. Miraculous things happen with the beast and the two prophets and all of this. And it seems then, then, three and a half years in, that the beast, the Antichrist, destroys the religious system. Tells us in Second Thessalonians, he goes into the temple, proclaims himself to be God, and that he needs to be worshipped above all that is called God. So this great whore lasts for the first three and a half years. Then she herself is destroyed. And the Antichrist, for the last three and a half years, the Great Tribulation, becomes the political and religious system of the world. Everybody bowing the knee to him. John is seeing this in vision. He's seeing this great whore drunk with the blood of saints, with the martyrs of Jesus. Because anybody during this first three and a half years that was not cooperating were martyred. They were put to death. Verse 7, where we have come, it says, The angel said unto me, Wherefore, why are you marveling? Now look, it's kind of a gentle rebuke there, which I think heaven still has for us, for me, for us today in some ways. Why are you amazed at what's going on in the world? Why are you amazed what's going on morally? Why are you amazed what's going on with a pandemic? What are you, why are you amazed what's going on with terrorism and threats and unrest and insanity? Why are you amazed with all that? What's the problem? You're supposed to understand this. You study prophecy. You've got a whole book that talks about it. You know where we're going. People are saying, well, what are we, I can't wait till we get back to normal. You better kiss normal goodbye. <laughs> there ain't no normal ahead of us. Jesus says it's going to wax worse and worse. The normal ahead of us is when the trumpet blows and we're caught up to be with Jesus, and that will be the same forever and ever and ever. <clears throat> but don't be surprised. The angel says, what's the problem? You don't understand? You know, and I think he's going to say that to us as well. He says, the angel said, why are you marveling? Why is this blowing your mind? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has seven heads, ten horns. In chapter 13 and 12, the, the horns have crowns. None here because these ten give their power and authority to the beast. And the angel said unto me, you know, he's going to explain this. He says, the beast that thou sawest was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, 
when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So why is this confusing to you? <laughs> That's the answer that he gives this angel. You know, is this one that is and, and was and then is not and then is again? Look, <clears throat> when we go through this, we talk about the beast. Sometimes that's the empire, sometimes it's the emperor. Sometimes it's the kingdom, sometimes it's the king. And context will always determine that. <clears throat> In chapter 13, as it begins, he says, I stood and upon the sand of the sea I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. This is the kingdom. And upon the horns, ten crowns. Uh, upon his, their heads and the name of blasphemy. Then we get down to verse 3, says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. That's the Antichrist who heads up the beast kingdom. Uh, chapter 11 had said uh, this to us, um, It says, these, these have power to shut up heaven, the two prophets, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They have power over the waters to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with plagues as often as they will. And they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, that's not a kingdom, shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So, Sometimes we talk about the beast in here. We're looking at the individual, the Antichrist himself. Sometimes it's putting his kingdom before us. And, he, and look, if this seems confusing to you, talk to the angel, will you? Because he's saying, what's your problem? You understand this? So, you know, this, the world wandering after this one that received the mortal head wound, that must mean it's televised. If the world is wandering after, the world is amazed. Something comes across the airway. Some way the world knows and he's come back to life again, this picture. Verse 9, he says this, <clears throat> And here is the mind which hath wisdom. Leaves me out. Here is the mind that hath wisdom. The Greek looks forward and not back. So what he's going to say is wisdom is what I'm about to tell you. Here is the mind that hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Your translation might say these are seven kings, which is the idea. Five are fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short space. So the seven heads are seven mountains. It's not our word banos for hills, Everybody thinks, well, Rome is a city of seven hills. There's at least ten hills. None of them are mountains. This Specifically, the word here, Aros, these are seven mountains. And seven mountains don't identify any city. It tells us here, then, these seven mountains are seven kings or seven kingdoms on which the harlot sits. Wisdom says seven heads or seven mountains are seven kings or seven kingdoms, upon which this 
whorish religious system has ridden. Last week, we looked back at Nimrod, Semiramis's wife, the beginning of Babylon, where it was birthed from. And then you see that imagery of a, a mother and a child in Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Venus and Cupid, which is before us here, and then the one has not yet come yet. So there are five that have fallen. He's going to say one is, while John's writing, Rome is in power, and one is yet to come. There's another world kingdom coming. Shouldn't surprise us. Everywhere around we hear globalists, globalists, globalism, globalism. Anybody who cares about American sovereignty is an enemy of the globalist. That, that's the trend. That's what's around us. And some puppet masters are behind the scenes, you know, calling the shots. A friend of mine works in intelligence in Israel. I said, who do you think put this guy in power? He said, no. He said, I said, do you think the Europeans did it? He said, there's no more geographical borders. You have to understand. There's only multinational corporations. There's no international borders. Money runs the world, not geography. And that, whoever the puppet master is behind the puppets, which I think is a dark individual, is pushing us to a global system and going to convince us that's the only sane, safe thing to do. And all those rumblings are around us without any shadow of a doubt. So he says, these seven heads are seven mountains, seven kingdoms on which the woman has sat. And there are seven kings or kingdoms, five are fallen. So one I mentioned, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. One is, that's Rome, and the other, other is not yet come. And when he goes to masculine personal pronoun, looking at the Antichrist himself, when he comes, he must continue for a short space. So we have this interesting picture before us. The bride is gone. The great whore is ruling in the religious realm. The bride of Christ caught away before all of this. You know, Jesus tells us this in Matthew. He says, you alone are the salt of the earth. It's emphatic. You alone. Nobody else. The salt and with the Romans, salt was a preservative. They put it on their meat and so forth. Salt was antiseptic. They would put it on their wounds. The Romans got what was called a salarium. We get our word salary from that. They got a measure of salt every week. If a soldier was a good fighter, he was worth his salt. Jesus said to you and I, you alone. No, there's no other preservative morally, ethically, spiritually. You alone are the salt of the earth. Then he said, same thing, you alone, emphatic, are the light of the world. This is a dark place. And the bride, who was preservative, antiseptic, brought light, has been caught away. Now what's left is this great whore. And she is seducing the world into a system where there is no redemption. And we're seeing it. We're seeing those rumblings around us today as we're here. 
11 says, The beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, a singular person here, and is of the seven that goeth into perdition. Now, we know that a, a kingdom can't go into perdition. This is the individual. John is in the future. He told us he was carried to the future to see these things. And there, in the future, looking at the Antichrist, he's the one who is, it says here, and it says then that he was, he is not, he shall be, and it tells us the same thing over again, he's the one who receives the mortal head wound. He is, then he is not. He's dead. The whole world must mourn this leader who brought peace you know, all of this stuff is going on. He's dead. But then he arises from the abyss, and he is again. He comes back to life. Understand what's happening at this point. First three and a half years, seals are open, which can be interpreted as natural phenomenon. The trumpets become more supernatural. The world is looking at the two prophets outside of Jerusalem, blaming them for all of these things that are taking place. The Antichrist is, is making war against them, can't overcome them. Hard to tell chronologically. He's killed, this great leader. He comes back to life again, conquering death. Revelation 13, verse 3 says, All of the world then wonders after him, and he destroys then the great harlot and proclaims himself to be God. And it says then he himself is the eighth. He's of the seventh. But three and a half years into that seventh kingdom, he destroys everything, and he himself becomes the kingdom and the religious system. The whole world has to worship him. He has a false prophet bringing down fire out of heaven, bringing life to an image, bearing testimony to the beast, making everybody receive the mark and so forth. That's not far from our thinking these days, is it? You know, the, this whole deal that's, that's happening. We'll be in heaven. We'll be watching from the mezzanine. Uh, anything I'm wrong about, so what? I'm in heaven, you know. Uh, <laughs> You can talk to John. He didn't understand either. The angel had to talk to him. Uh, the angel will probably say to you, you were wrong about a lot of things too, smarty pants. But it says, the beast that was and is not, even is the eighth, and is of the seven, ultimately he goes into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, ten regions, ten Kingdoms, ten surviving after Ezekiel, global political powers, which have received no kingdom as of yet. John, this is going to happen, hasn't happened yet. But they receive power as kings one hour with the beast, just for a short space. And these have one mind and shall give their power, military power, and their strength to the beast. You have to imagine how incredible this is. <clears throat> the next verse tells us, in light of this, it says, And these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. So th this insanity now, these 
kings all plead their allegiance, these world regions, to this one individual because they're looking at him and they're realizing this is the first time in human history there has been a global dictator, a world dictator. He has defeated death. He has defeated God's two prophets outside of Jerusalem. He has his own prophet working with him, causing miracles to take place right in front of us. And the old dragon now has given his power, his volve. There's, there's a power involved in all of this. And they must think we can actually, you know, assert ourselves against the lamb. Which, you know, you think of the insanity of that. But this is what the devil wanted. They're, they're in darkness. They're thinking we can actually do this. Look, this shouldn't be a surprise. This is when it all comes together. The culture we live in now is at war against the lamb. They don't want to hear you say Jesus is the only way. Fundamentalist, you radical. The Bible says there's one name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. That's it. Buddha's in a temple. Muhammad's in a, t- I mean, in a, in a tomb. Uh, Muhammad's in a tomb. Buddha's in a tomb. Zoroaster's in a tomb. Confucius is in a tomb. Empty tomb in Jerusalem. That's all the difference in the world. But the world is against, they're at war with the Lamb now. If we say, hey, marriage is between a man and a woman. Sexual intimacy belongs in that context. People want to take us to jail now for saying that. They're at war. The the, the war has already begun. If we say we believe we're here because of creation and not because of evolution, they, they want to take us down. You understand? You see the rumblings of all of this coming. So imagine when somebody supernatural comes on the scene. Imagine when there's a world dictator. Imagine when he rises from the dead and conquers death. Imagine when he has a false prophet working with him. Imagine when these things take place. The whole world then wanders after him. And then he leads them through the serpent, the great dragon. Let's make war against the Lamb. Now, they're already drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. It's nothing new. Now they're going to consolidate all of that. Verse 14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. doesn't even say he's going to make war. He's going to overcome them. Simple reason. He's Lord of Lords. The Antichrist isn't the Lord. He's king of kings. The Antichrist is not the king. The lamb's the king. Not the big gnarly dragon. The lamb. Isn't that wonderful? Our redeemer, redemption, the one who produces forgiveness and eternal life. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Not the dragon. Not the Antichrist. And and it says, he is the Lord of lords, king of kings, and they that are with him, pay attention to this, that's us, they that are with him are called, that's you and I, are called, chosen. That feels really good when I say that. You understand when, when John wrote this, he wasn't thinking about Calvin and Arminius and, you know, the you know five points of Calvin. He's he, he just telling the saints under Roman, being bludgeoned over Roman rule, hey, you're the called, you're the chosen, you're the faithful, you're going to be returning with the king. 
you know, the interesting picture as we look at it is here you have the Antichrist with all of the armies of the world, all of the military technology of the planet under his control, all of the armies of the world. Then here comes the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who has his own army from another world. That's us. Chapter 19 gives us more details. He comes, the sun goes out, the moon goes out, the stars refuse to shine, the only light in the heavens is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and y'all and myself are behind him on white horses. Learn how to ride a horse. <laughs> so in your, it's in your future. You don't want to be the one going, whoa, I'm falling over. You know, we'll be coming with him. I mean, this is remarkable. Heaven has its own army, and it's from another world. It's not like the armies of this world. And he says unto me, Understand the waters which thou sawest where the whore sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. This is a global religious system. Verse 16 then is going to tell us that it is destroyed. And the ten horns, these ten kings and their, their kingdoms, their empires, that thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and shall burn her with fire. There should be no doubt there. This is bad day for the, <coughs> the old gal. Um, it's very interesting as we look at this because in chapter 18 we come to commercial political Babylon. When commercial and political Babylon are destroyed, all the kings and merchants of the world mourn. When religious Babylon is destroyed, there's great exultation and rejoicing. We finally got this, and there's one, it's so simple now, there's this one we worship and there's this one we bow down to. They're going to destroy this religious system. You know, it's so interesting because she comes into power with the beast and his kingdom. There's rarely been a time in human history when there's actually a separation between church and state, between religion and government. Because <clears throat> through the history of man, it's more advantageous for a government if the religious systems of the day bear witness to the government and it's more than advantageous to the religious system if the government protects that and one hand is washing the other and we see too much of that these days. The church is completely distinct, different destiny, different calling. We have different candidates, right? We know who's going to win the election. I mean, it's just so different. It says... They're going to destroy this great horror. Look what it says. For God hath put it in their hearts, listen, to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom to the beast. That's God's will, remarkably, until the words of God should be fulfilled. Think of what that's saying. What's saying is none of this is out of control. See the insanity in the world today, the hatred of the church, the hatred of American sovereignty, all of the things going on around us. Everybody's like, ah, it's not out of control. The word of God is involved. And all this is going to happen until his word is fulfilled. And we're seeing that all around us. You know, it's interesting in the book of Acts, uh, it tells us this in chapter 4, 
It says, For of a truth against thy holy uh, child Jesus, these are the, the apostles and the saints when they're being persecuted, whom thou hast appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the nations, the people of Israel, they're all gathered together against him. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. It's not out of control. The apostles realize, wait a minute, this persecution, this is what the Romans and the, the Jews in Jerusalem are doing. And, and this is all something, Lord, you said would happen. Chapter 2 says that Jesus, Peter's preaching, was crucified by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That the crucifixion of Christ was in the middle of God's plan. You go back and read Isaiah 53 and Zechariah chapter 12, and you just go through all the prophecies in the Old Testament that it was God's determined counsel and foreknowledge. And there's a Granville Sharp there, and the Greek makes them both the same thing, which is really incredible to study it. So it says here, when this is all happening, now we'll be on the mezzanine. We'll be completely sure of God's will in regards to our lives because we'll be looking down. But we will also realize the pandemonium that's on the earth at that point in time is still under control of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his word is still being fulfilled. And then it tells us this. And the woman which thou sawest, this is really interesting, is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The woman is that great city. Last week we read all of the verses in Revelation that speak of that great city, that great city, Babylon, Babylon the great city, mystery of harlots, Babylon the great, it says. So Babylon, you know, how can, can this really be Babylon? I'm sure it's Rome, I'm sure it's New York, you know, I hear that all the time. You know, it's this and it's that, because Babylon is basically in ruins, the the Iraqis are rebuilding part of it because it's so such a tourist attraction. Um, so some of that is being rebuilt there. They're actually finding the bricks. They're rebuilding and so forth. But there's always been people there. But but our question is, how can Babylon? You know, what about London? What about Rome? What about New York? How can Babylon be the? You know, it's very interesting. Arthur Toynbee, one of the most respected historians of the last century in everything he wrote and everything when he was speaking, he would always say Babylon in the Euphrates is the ideal place for a global metropolis. Computer studies have said the ruins of Babylon are the center of the world's great land masses, Asia, Europe, and Africa. Could it really be that after the church is gone, as the Antichrist comes to power, Babylon is going to be rebuilt? Look, some of our folks here have been in China, missionaries. How long does it take to build a city in China? Two years? No building codes, just goes. You know. What's going to happen in this period if it's like the days of Noah, if the Nephilim are back? If those that built Machu Picchu and the Great Pyramids... Great Pyramid in, in Egypt, and what forces will there be? This Babylon seems like it's going to arise, because it tells us here in verse 10, it says, 
this is the political system, but it says, standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour thy judgment is come. If you look over in verse 21, it says, and a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, thus with violence shall that great city, Babylon, be thrown down and shall be found, listen, no more at all. It speaks of the complete destruction of Babylon, which we've never seen. You know, the Persians took over and Cyrus came in. They used Babylon, the the city itself, as part of their kingdom. Alexander the Great, when he went to that part of the world, came back to the city of Babylon and died in the southern palace there. The Romans ruled over Babylon. The Jews wrote the Babylonian Talmud five or six hundred years after Christ. Uh, Peter's first epistle talks about Babylon. So Babylon has never been destroyed completely, never to rise again. That has to be in front of us. Let me read a few verses here. Uh, just to and and understand this is Babylon relative to the Euphrates. Um, it says again, you're, you're, if you want to study Babylon, Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, Revelation 17 and 18, six chapters on Babylon. I think Babylon's mentioned like 200 times in the Bible. The only city mentioned more is Jerusalem. It says here in Isaiah 13, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, that's Iraq, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. That's never happened yet. That's never never been destroyed that way before in his history. You find that in Jeremiah as well. Here in Isaiah 13, and Isaiah verse 1 and 13 is clear, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And then it tells us this. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven... And the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth. The moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil. It talks about the destruction of Babylon in the era when the sun and the moon and the stars refuse to shine. And when God comes to destroy the nations of the world. That's still ahead of us. That has not yet taken place. Um, that it will be desolate forever. It tells us this in, in Isaiah 13, and it shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation. We've never seen that as of yet. It tells us this in Jeremiah. It says, Then shall thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off 
that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. We've never seen that happen to Babylon yet. It hasn't happened. Timing of the judgment, Isaiah 13, Jeremiah 51, is the timing when all nations, global judgment, all nations are judged. Um, very interesting in Isaiah, it does say this. It says that... Um, it says, the whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since thou art laid down, no feller is come up against us. So it says there's going to be global rejoicing following the destruction of Babylon. We've never seen anything like that. None of that has ever gone on. Isaiah 14 is relative to the fall of Lucifer. Uh, Jeremiah 51, 26 says this. <clears throat> it says, They shall not take of thee a stone for a corner or a stone for a foundation. Thou shalt be desolate forever, saith the Lord. And right now they're rebuilding Babylon with some of the stones, some of the bricks that Nebuchadnezzar made. <clears throat> the idea is, can Babylon really be Babylon? We'll look at it a little more next week. Can Babylon really be Babylon? Zechariah tells us <clears throat> the economy of the world is going to move back to the plains of Shinar. That's Babylon. That's So for you and I sitting here today, <clears throat> we look at the world, we look at the possibilities, and we scratch our heads saying, how in the world could that ever happen? With Rome, with, you know, uh, New York, with London, with... Uh, these other major metropolises where there's so much money. Hong Kong, I think there's more billionaires in Hong Kong than anywhere in the world. There's more Rolls Royces in Hong Kong than anywhere in the world. There's these great monetary powers around the world. How can this place of ruins on the Euphrates River ever be that again? And here's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> I just know it says it. I don't know how he can call me justified, sanctified, and glorified. But I know it says it. I don't know how I can be presented faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. But I know it says it. And it says here things about Babylon that have not been realized yet. And it's utter destruction that the world has never seen. So something is going to happen with ancient Babylon and its resurrection relative to the Antichrist, we will be watching from the mezzanine. Challenge for us, look. <clears throat> the angel said, why don't you know this stuff? Because <laughs> I ain't an angel. You know, why, why don't you know this stuff? Why are you confused about this? Let me explain it to you. You know, heaven's not confused at all about any of this. But I think the great thing for you and I is, look, why, why are you aware of this? I mean, we, we know what's going on with the Sixers. We know what's going on with the rotation. We know what's going on with the Eagles. You never know. What, you know, we know we know what's going on with the, the stock market. We know what's going on with the, all kinds of things across our country. We know what's going on with the pandemic. We know what's going on with vaccinations. We know what's going on in Europe. We got TVs. We know what's going on everywhere. And and we're slow to cultivate 
the vertical. We're so involved in the horizontal. And then we come to church and think, ah, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm going to keep my mind, set my affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Christ is sitting there at the right hand of God, and I'm going to be caught up. That's where I'm going to be. And you get a flat tire on the way home, and all that's gone. <laughs> right? Or somebody cuts you out in traffic, and your heavenly language changes. <laughs> and you don't need interpretation. Right? Isn't it funny how quickly we're, we're pulled back here? This is telling us heaven is saying, look, you need to understand this. You're my children. I love you. You're blood-bought. The last days have come upon you. And my return's going to be like a thief in the night. At an hour you don't expect it. I'm going to come. Will I find you busy about the Father's business? Will you occupy until I come? Will you set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth? Or will church just be a place we go Sunday, we like our church, they're going to have a coffee house, so we might as well keep going, right? It's just a great place to put the kids in school, this and that. Or it is a place where you and I, brothers and sisters, we come together to hear the word of God, to, to lift our voices in worship, of the one God, King of kings and Lord of lords, where we leave different than when we came, where we have something the Holy Spirit has invested in us, that God's word is like seed that should bring forth 30, 60, 100-fold in our lives. It can't, you know, prophecy is so fascinating, so interesting. Even other religious systems are interested in prophecy because everybody wants to know what's going to happen. For you and I, this is heaven saying, don't ask what's going on. I'm telling you what's going on. This is where you are. This is what's surrounding you. This is what it says. You're the first generation that can turn on the news and see the whole planet and understand you're where I said you would be in the days you're living in. Right? Let's commit our hearts afresh today. I'm going to have the musicians come. If you're here and you don't know our Jesus, you know some other Jesus, some other God, some lukewarm, meaningless religion, you say you're a believer, but a believer in what? You go to bed at night completely empty. You're still wrestling with substance, sexual things. You're still wrestling with suicidal thoughts. Listen, you need to get all that right. You come. We're all like that. We're all changed. We're set free. We're going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus. Not because of Calvary Chapel. Not because of religion. Because of an individual who loves us and who died in our place. Who's risen again. Who's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's coming. <clears throat> Look, you... You know, we can watch all these stupid superheroes all over the TV. You know, they do all kinds of weird powers, all kinds of... You know, our kids are enthralled with that. Let me tell you, there's a superhero coming. And we ain't dreamed of what he's got and what he's going to do. And he's so powerful and authoritative that he can look at us and pronounce us clean and acceptable in his sight. That's a different point of view. Let's stand. Let's pray together. 
and if you've never come to Christ, not church, Jesus himself, if you've never come and you want to do that today, as we're singing the last song, just kind of get out of your pew, come down. If a friend drug you here, and they did that because they love you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. And we want to give you a Bible, some literature to read, but this is your moment to stand before other people and say, I'm done with it, I'm tired of it, I'm running on empty, I'm, I'm tired of the guilt, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own, I want to know my sins are forgiven, I want to know when my eyes close in this world, they're going to open in the next. If you've not made that decision, you come today, stand here, let us pray with you, right in front of everybody. Right in front of everybody, you come. Father, I know you've overheard. We <clears throat> we put these things before you, Lord. It's a strange chapter, Lord. And we're glad you're saying to us, Why, what are you confused about? Lord, let it be clear to our hearts. Give each of us here our portion. You know each of us. And Lord, let us just consecrate our lives at a, at a new level relative to the days we're living in. And Lord, we do pray if there's any here that are unsaved or listening somewhere, Lord, uh, let them come, Lord. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, I could never communicate this clearly enough to penetrate a heart, but you do that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit with the gospel, the good news of your Son. So, Lord, any that are here among us today that have never come, Lord, that only maybe have religion and not relationship, draw them today, Lord, to reality, to light, Lord, out of the darkness spiritually. Lord, we lift that to you. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.